getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. Getting to like you. Getting to hope you like you. Welcome to Getting to Know Woo. I'm Natasha Levenger, a professional intuitive reader, energy healer, and inner child healing expert. After being raised with extreme narcissism, I found talk therapy was helpful, but it wasn't until I found energy and inner child healing that I was able to break free of family patterns that cut me off from knowing and loving my true self. I'm passionate about dispelling the rhetoric that these kinds of tools are impractical and ineffective. And in this podcast, I will be sharing how actually beneficial and transformative they are. My husband and producer, Brett, will be joining me in conversation, and we will be welcoming experts along the way. I'm excited to have you here. What's up, Wooligans? What's up? Oh, I thought of another one oh. uh, just now. Oh, it was. Oh, damn it. You it lost left it. me. Yes. Hmm. All uh, right. Well, if it comes back. Oh, Wula Hoops. Yeah, I just, I just say we're still brainstorming. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I still Wooligans. vote for Wooligans. <laughs> Listen, so far, you know, not many people write in to vote, but no. please uh, DM me. You can DM me at Natasha Levenger on Instagram. You can email us, getting to know woo at gmail.com, <laughs> and we will take your suggestions. Yeah, definitely will. But so far, uh, it's, uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's Wooligans. Wooligans. Yeah, by a landslide at the moment. Yeah, landslide of four people. <laughs> well. No, maybe three. What? Maybe. Oh, what? <laughs> yeah. We have a foster, a new foster cat in the office with us. His he, name is Todd, and he's enormous, and he. He's enormous, and he's friendly. Yeah. And he has <laughs> gotten very curious about the mics, and he's currently <laughs> sitting next to me, oh and God. he rolled over so that my mic toppled so we if yeah i'm gonna post a picture of him on instagram if you'd like to see him probably in the <laughs> stories maybe i'll add it uh <laughs> on 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 the grid he might deserve to be on the grid i yeah, mean look might. at this guy he's, he's enormous he's 18 he's gorgeous <laughs> if you would like to adopt a gorgeous 18 year old cat hit us up yeah. HMU. HMU. You know? uh, on a more, uh, I don't want to say serious, but um, less uh, less uh, funsies level, <laughs> we did get another email from somebody in the trans community, uh, and I just wanted to address it real quick. Yeah. So um, for those of you who don't know, we are the parents of a non-binary child trans daughter, and they're both teens. Um, so somebody... W- wrote in because they heard me vacillate between they and he when I was speaking of our my friend and our guest Jonathan Coe and um so just to clear things up um Jonathan goes uses both pronouns but I don't know why in my head I felt like he preferred (laughs) there I did it um preferred they but they don't. They prefer both. So, um, I mean, both are fine. And right. I um, 
I looked on their website and I also talked to them about it, but just to make sure, because otherwise it would be misgendering him. So if we, if it was misgendering, we would have edited it out. So just to let everybody know in case, I don't know, you feel uncomfortable about it. Like, oh no, are they leaving in misgendering? Right. No, it's just me being weird about feeling like <laughs> I should only stay even though they don't care. Um, and then the other thing was we mentioned a while ago how our oldest child changes their name a lot. And I think we said something like, or I said something like they used to be called, which if they were trans, that would be, as this trans person said, it made their skin crawl. Yeah. And if they were trans, that's not an appropriate, respectful way to say that they changed their name. Right. Um, but... This is not what's happening with our oldest child. <laughs> they, they like have used many names. They don't consider their birth name to be a dead name. They, right, right. They are called that their by their birth name a lot at different places, and so therefore we have asked them, "Do you want to change it legally?" And they don't care, and they don't want to actually. Right. Right. And they said that feels stressful, and that's not what they want to do. They're fine with that being called that. Um. And they even have friends who still call them that. So anyway, that is that. I just want I'm saying this just so that if you are trans, you know that we would like this to be a safe space that doesn't make your skin crawl. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, and so we just wanted to be clear about that. And we're, of course, always learning and always open to hearing if we are doing something that feels hurtful or disrespectful. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it just so happened that in those cases, we were not. Um, but we're human and we probably will do something. <laughs> about something. Yeah, just keep us posted about <laughs> skin crawling behavior on our side. Anyhoosers, moving on. We have a wonderful guest, first of all, uh, Nicholas Pearson. Yeah. We love talking to him. He has so many books, um, and this particular one we talk about is the Crystal Guidebook. And he's a real lovely mix of science and woo, and hope it doesn't sound disrespectful to him, but adorable, honestly. <laughs> I love that guy. He could not have been a uh, a better guest to talk about this. Just so like he, all his answers sound rehears sounded rehearsed, like they were that thorough and that. Yeah, even though we didn't give him like a heads up about what we were going to yeah. ask him, we yeah. wanted to keep him on his toes. Yeah, yeah, we're real into gotcha. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha journalism. Yeah, <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> It should be a new segment. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> I don't know what it's about. I don't know. We'll figure we it out. We still have it. Yeah, we got the name. Now we just got to figure out the content. Um, And usually this segment pre-interview is where we talk about, that's what I'm excited about. Mm -hmm. But um, I will just <laughs> say real quick, what I am excited about is Jon Stewart's show. What is it called? The Problem? The Problem with Jon Stewart. Oh, I love him so much. Yeah, he's really great. Did you really know that great. one time I was... When I was, this was like 20 years ago when he was on The Daily Show, I was running to go to the theater next to him to see the Trattenberg family uh, slideshow. 
that what they were called? The slightly anyway. Trachtenberg. Trachtenberg family. Anyway, they were great. But he almost ran me over in his large he had like an enormous truck, which is very on brand for not on brand. Like pickup truck? No. It was like, like a, an SUV. it wasn't a Hummer, but it was maybe it was like <laughs> that big. That's wild. I know. You know how they say small men <laughs> short men like big trucks? Have you ever heard that? <laughs> I I had not. I've I've oh, heard. Listen, okay, hold well, on. If you're a small man, I may have just made yourself. I was call. just thinking the same thing. <laughs> I'm just saying. I, I have heard that about um not small the penises. height of men. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you seem worried, but you know what? I don't care. I'm all right with saying this stereotype. I don't know that it's true. I'm just saying, have you heard it? <laughs> oh, you're just asking whether I've heard it. It was no, just I funny not. because I had heard that and then to see him because he is very small yeah. in an enormous truck. Yeah. Well, and driving himself is unexpected. Yeah, it was the end of the day, he was going home, I think. Huh. I mean, he's not that, like, what do you mean? He's not the king of England. No, but lots of, uh, <laughs> but lots of, oh, of like celebrities get driven places. Yeah, or this the network pre-Uber. would have oh, paid for mm-hmm. a driver. Well, like, I could have knows? taken a driver home Ooh, as an assistant at a bank. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> okay. So if uh, John Stewart's driving himself home, okay. I think it's pretty clear who outranks <laughs> Anyway, he almost ran me. I was running late, and then he pulled out there, and that's what that's what that was fun it story. his his fault, or were you like no darting across the street? I was the way darting across do in New York the street, but I was dart. There was a driveway that I didn't realize was there. Oh, I see the exit to the Daily Show, and we had a moment of eye contact. <laughs> I think that's important to share right now. <laughs> Anyway, his show is just like I was telling you earlier, like, you know, those that feeling when you get in an argument with someone and then later you're in bed, like at night, like thinking, yeah. oh, oh, this is the perfect fucking thing I could have said. Why didn't I <laughs> say that? It's like all of his interviews are him just saying the perfect thing. But yeah. in the moment, yeah, at least because I agree with him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 that helps. He does talk over people a lot. But yeah. it's always with great things to say, so I'm right. okay with it. Yeah. <laughs> um. So anyway, you should check it out. We're going to start watching it with our kids. Anyway, it's really hard not to get distracted by Todd. <laughs> I mean, he's just, picture the perfect cat, that's him. And yeah. he's just sitting here flaunting it. <laughs> he's a real dreamboat, this guy. Yeah, he really is. So anyway, the thing that I wanted to talk about, I can't, I feel like I've talked about this before, that the one thing that I have been working on consistently personal growth wise has been this feeling around social media. When I go to post Mm -hmm. of feeling it, it comes in and out, but like this feeling of just bad feelings (laughs) of insecurity and stuff, not when I go to create. So the creation process is very fun for me and pure and like I get inspired and et cetera, et cetera. But so I re and then also I have a part that's like, you're so shallow, a part of me that's like, who cares? This is dumb. But I've had so many realizations. So I want to just like 
I think maybe it'll be helpful for people. I don't know. Maybe yeah, this is just personal. Yeah. But one thing I realized was, and this is specific to people who are raised by narcissists, who I think there are a lot of people out there because they tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I realized like this part of me, this inner child part that's like, this is shallow. You worry too much about what people are thinking of you. But it's like when you were raised by a narcissist, you are trained to care. You have oh, to for yeah. safety. Yes, yes. So, and I have healed so much of that, like in relationships, it doesn't exist, etc. But like, it's really specific to putting my work in the world. That's yeah. when it comes out, like that hypervigilant part is like, oh, shit, we're gonna get attacked. But what I realized was I've had like this placeholder, I see this very clearly, I saw this very clearly the other day, energetically in front of me, it's like a black block of energy. And it's like this placeholder for all of the terrible things my mother <laughs> said about me and how she observed me. Yeah. Yeah, it's really like how she observed me. Uh. So it's and she was very intense. So I realized that it's like I'm filtering. As soon as I post, I filter all of my energy through that. And then it becomes very distracting really throughout the day and just thinking about in general me being out there. And it doesn't affect. Yeah, it's just very specific to that. So anyway, I just realized it. And then I have been doing a lot of energy work around I basically went to my inner world that I've talked about earlier right. and I asked for my guides for help and they took the energy and it was like they put it in this bubbling spring of light and that, that felt really good and another thing I'm realizing is like it's almost like when you have a knot and a massage like you're getting massage and they work on the knot it's like that but energetically so I will get like they did that and then I'll get information that will help and then I need a little bit Bit more but it's real then i'll realize like oh i can really look at it like what if there's actually more support out there than i could ever have imagined like what right. if it's like way more instead yeah. of like brace having that hyper vigilant part and worrying about the worst like right. oh god these people see me like my mom saw me right um so maybe this part will be helpful i'm sharing this for that reason but like I also realized that when I, that I basically had a big stop sign on my social media mm. and also a little bit on my newsletter, but not fully, but a little bit. Yeah. Like where it's like, oh no, I'm worried about this hatred. And so it's like, nope, don't come in. <laughs> right, right. And it reminded me when I felt into it energetically of when I used to have, which was not that long ago, clients that could schedule just one. A single reading. Right, thank you. Um, If I was having a week where I was like, I really need more time to myself, I need to do other things, people wouldn't schedule. And then when I was like, oh, yeah, OK, I feel more open. I, I have time. Then all of a sudden my whole week would be full. Yeah. And it really feels the same thing. It felt like I had like this, like, no, 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 I can't. I'm not available for that. Right. right. So I don't know for people listening, if you are wanting whatever that is in your life, like a relationship or you want more business, whatever, you can kind of check in into your energy. Like how much am I allowing this in? What does it feel like if I say, oh, um, this relationship showed up today? Like, are you panicked? Or does mm -hmm. it feel like, oh, yes, that feels great. 
does it feel exciting, fun, you know, whatever. And then you can kind of feel like, okay, then what is in the way of me really feeling safe with this experience? Yeah, you just made me realize that I need to take a look at that for myself about going to school oh, yeah. to to be a therapist. Oh, yeah. Because it's something, I mean, listeners uh, who may have heard me say that I had recently decided to do that, um, and that was a few months ago, mm-hmm. and I have not made any progress on it. I've oh. made or very little. Like, I have done some investigation. Um, and I thought it was one thing that was blocking me, and then I thought it was another, but I'm still blocked. And so, I, I mean, I think it needs a little more uh, attention because it does feel a little like yeah. I can make time for lots of things, but not that for yeah. some reason. So why not? It is interesting. I'm also taking this class on um, – it's basically a class on organizing your life holistically, like taking a lot into um, – taking the holistic perspective and one of the things that was really helpful was last week they were talking about capacity and about how well first of all when you're planning something a lot of times we plan for from like with this idea of our ideal self who never gets sick who doesn't you know who's like who has all the time in the world and has all the energy in the world and never gets distracted and and so taking that into account but then also there's like there's three folds to it and shoot. Oh, it's time, money, and energy. Mm. So if you look at your capacity on any given day, that can help you to know like, okay, if I'm low on all three, I'm definitely, this is not <laughs> a day where I'm doing this right. or whatever. But, yes. Uh, I never plan for anything but the most idealized version of myself yeah. that has never existed. Yeah. yeah. But the other thing is like, it has been helpful for me, even though... N- a lot of this class is about learning Notion, which is this um, app or website that's like helps you organize things, yeah. and which just feels very overwhelming to me in the first. But it has been very enlightening to me to break it down. Like how I've done it is like work, family, and then personal, mm-hmm. or like work, home, and personal. Okay. Actually, and kids is another sub is another heading, and um. And it's just interesting when you look at all of your areas to see like, oh, well, no wonder I haven't gotten X, Y, or Z done, Yeah, you know? So I think even though you're like, I make time for other things, I mean, you have a lot going on. (laughs) And so I think if you saw all of the things listed, you might be like, oh, that's why I'm not getting that done. Okay, when... Like, you could find a time. Like, yeah. you would have to make a time, not yeah. just kind of expect it. Oh, I'll do it when I have time because that's right, not going to Right, happen. right, Yeah, no, that that is definitely true. I mean, that's kind of the the what I've been assuming about it so far is just like, well, you're so busy and yeah. it's easy to forget. And, but uh, it's true. But, yeah, I well, I mean, I think maybe both would be like maybe, maybe I'll uh, – schedule a reading with you <laughs> oh shit your books I don't are closed do one uh, I'm sorry. Oh, all right you well, should have come I'll, to me a few weeks ago. you know what i'll just we'll i'll do the awakening oh okay uh, great perfect yeah. actually i don't have openings till may i'm sorry uh, well we'll get to it <laughs> <laughs> um all right so before we get to our wonderful guest i got my first copy of my book they oh. sent me a printer's edition if you want to see my opening of it you can look at it on tiktok or Instagram. By the way, I know this is weird, but I love TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that weird? 
Because I don't know. It's like, first of all, supposedly an app for kids, but it isn't. Once you like know what you like and TikTok knows what you like, then you get what you want. And right. which is very different than how Instagram. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Because um, I guess because they don't have like a for you thing. It's like the explore page or whatever. You could you could go look at it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't force you to tell right. you your interests. Right. Yeah. And so I just really like that. It feels like such um I mean, I already tailor social media in the way that I want it. So I don't get like triggered all the time like maybe some people do. But I don't know. I just really enjoy it. Um, But anyway, also, it just feels like a real basic thing to say, like something <laughs> like something. That, you know what I like? Chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> <laughs> We like to get controversial here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, also, we it does away. feel like social media, I'm talking about it a lot today, is like kind of evil in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And so the fact that I'm like, I, it's like if I were to say like, I like Amazon. <laughs> right. It's not right. quite that bad. Maybe. I don't know. Mm. But I've just discovered a lot of things I love on there. And I also have met good friends through Instagram. I mean, I met Britton and Jonathan through yep. Instagram. Like, I've had really good experiences. Yeah. Um, and I uh, and I have a new friend on TikTok. <laughs> early anyway, days. Early days. It's early days. Anyway, my new book is, is just, I got the first in like hard copy, which is exciting. I mean, Ugh, it's a so exciting. Paperback, but, um, and uh, yeah, so listen, if you want to read it, it's really great. I got to say, looking at it, it looks really good. I love just, it, yeah, it just looks really good. Yeah, it really does. And it's like there is something very exciting about seeing it in physical form. Yeah. And like knowing that it's going to go out into the world. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, I've been kind of disconnected from that. A little bit. I mean, a lot of it even like kind of like, yeah, I guess that's happening. Um, but I also kind of realized a little bit ago that that part of that was protection yeah. um, to not really feeling into that. Um, but anyway, if you pre-order this book of mine and you can listen, I know we don't love Amazon, but it mm -hmm. does help me. <laughs> The small business owner, yeah. small writer owner, um, if you pre-order specifically on there. Um, but anywhere is great. And if you do, you can email me um, at highestlighthealing at gmail.com. And I will um, send you a meditation and class I made on receiving inner validation. So I'd really appreciate that. Yeah. And you can go to highest, no, you can go to wherever you get your books. Yeah. I think definitely on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. I know it's there's also a link uh, up at the very top oh, of highestlighthealing.com uh, that'll take you to pre order. Right. So thank you. I really, really appreciate everyone's support. It it truly means so much to me. Yeah. So today we are interviewing Nicholas Pearson, and he has been immersed in all aspects of the mineral kingdom for nearly 30 years. As one of the leading voices in crystal healing today, he offers a unique blend of science and spirituality alongside a grounded practical approach to working with crystals. The author of several books, including Crystal Basics, he lives in Orlando, Florida. And you can find him, his screen name is The Luminous Pearl on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, and his website, theluminouspearl.com. And here's our convo. Thank you. 
Nicholas, thank you so much for being here today. We're really excited to talk to you. It's my pleasure. Thanks for connecting with me again. Today, we're here to talk about your book, Crystal Basics. Now, I have the pocket encyclopedia, which is so, I love that they did it this way. You have a bigger version, right? I do. They're, they're two standalone books. They're oh. just siblings, if you will. So oh. um, different intro chapters. It's not even a carbon copy of the same stones inside. So not all 200 oh. stones from the big book made it into the little book. Um, oh. Some things got slashed to make room for others. And I also tried to reflect some changes in the market in the past few years. So oh. they're, each one can enrich the other, but um, you know, they're, they're also good standalone books too. Um, what do you mean the mark? Like how did you um, adjust it to the market? What did you learn? Well, some things that were seemingly very popular when Crystal Basics came out in 2020 are either less popular or less available. So I decided to make room for other things because, you know, minerals can be finite resources. Sometimes the things we get really excited about are like a flash in the pan and other times they endure. And, you know, given how much variety I was trying to cover, I, I figured if I took out one or two flavors of Jasper or calcite to make room for other flavors of Jasper or calcite, it was going to be okay. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. I had no idea that certain crystals went in and out of fashion. But can you actually give us a little bit of your background and how you got into, um, well, you have such a breadth of knowledge, but um, into crystals specifically? So I started collecting really young. My grandfather gave me my first proper mineral specimen at the age of eight, approximately, uh, it was a piece of quartz from Hot Springs, Arkansas. Prior to that, I picked up rocks everywhere. I mean, even all over my home, there are just humble rocks that I find mm-hmm. among the landscape in places where I'm permitted mostly to take them. <laughs> and I, I just had this like deep kinship that I felt with rock and stone. And thankfully, my grandfather observed this habit and said, well, let's let's elevate this a little bit. And, you yeah. know. The rest is history. I grew up loving folklore and myth, and I didn't grow up in a particularly religious or spiritual household. So, like, I was always hungry for something, but we went to the library on weekends when other families did the church kind of thing. So, I still had something to satisfy that, but it was by building my own experience, by doing my own learning. So, I I kind of sampled from the buffet of, you know, spiritual traditions around the world and, and filled my plate very piecemeal. And my dad had a strong science background, so I I kind of endeavored to follow in his footsteps in some ways, at least. And, you know, one week it might be Egyptian mythology, and the next it could be folklore of Great Britain. And the following week after that, it could be stuff like biology or geology or whatever I could get my hands on that was age appropriate. And oftentimes things that were not age appropriate, just because the answers I had couldn't be satisfied in the kids section all the time. So fairly early on, I I kind of developed this awareness that the lexicon of science and the lexicon of religion and mythology describe the same fundamental phenomena in the world. In, in one mm-hmm. lens, we are quantifying it. In the other one, we are relating to it through metaphor or symbol. Mm-hmm. And one is not inherently more important than the other, but they, they are both attempts at finding meaning in the world around us. 
So I kind of carried that forward. And as much as I loved rocks and science and the woo-woo stuff, um, in crystal healing, I found like the perfect overlap of all of those things where I could study geology and mineral science and all those fun aspects of it and memorize chemical formulas and understand how one converts to another and you know, all that fun stuff. And, and then there's also a rich body of folklore and an active practice, you know, rather than, you know, reading about Egyptian myths or Roman myths or anything like that, which was essentially a, a a historic practice have people revived or reconstructed it yes but when i was a kid i didn't know that um but in crystal healing texts i found a living breathing spiritual practice things that people were doing today that was mm -hmm. informed by the past but also informed by a lot of personal experience because i mean let's face it there are, there are rocks and minerals that we discover every year that our antecedents did not know so we have to come up with our our own story about them somehow um and it's just been really exciting. And I'm thankful that when I went away to school uh, to study music, I was going to become a music educator. Although it turns out that is not my lifelong dream. Uh, I was randomly assigned or so the university told me to work in an earth science museum on campus. I didn't even know it existed. I, I chose this small prestigious school for its music program. And I just got dropped in the middle of essentially the largest rock and mineral collection in the southeastern United States. And wow. you know, yeah, it, it was incredible. And within a matter of weeks, they gave me almost unrestricted access. I didn't have the keys myself, uh, but they were on a box on my office de on, on my <laughs> boss's desk and I could just come and take them as long as I I, I logged what what came and went uh what I was moving from storage to display you know from the annex upstairs to you know anything downstairs and they used to let me borrow things like they were books in the library as long as they came back in the same condition and the only the only footnote in all of this the only caveat that I had to follow was that in those four walls when I was public facing, it was all science. That was it, which is fine because mm -hmm. I love science. Um, and my my immediate supervisor encouraged me to just do whatever I wanted to find meaning because the mm -hmm. history of mineral science, the history of geology is, is a relatively young science for one. Geology is younger than a lot of other sciences, um, but it is directly related to some fairly unscientific things or some things that we've decided are not as sciencey as they used to be. So um, learning about the history of that enriched my ability to engage with the public and do other things. And eventually I decided to join the dark side and I, I defected from music to science. I never actually finished that degree. Life got in the way and I ran out of money and I, I went to work for corporate America instead. Mm. But I, I kept teaching mm. about crystals. I've been teaching workshops on crystal healing and you know related things um, since 2004. And um, that's kind of what drove me to write in the first place. Writing was always an extension of my love of, of teaching and learning because, you know, I get to learn more and then I get to share it with others. You anticipated a question that I had, which was, you know, you had covers such a wide variety of minerals. And I know that some of the knowledge uh, or some of the information about what do these crystals do? What are they, you know, used for? come from longstanding traditions, but like not all of those minerals in the book are available in all in the same places that some of those traditions come from. So I, when you talk about the, the living tradition of, uh, of crystal healing now, is there an active effort to make that a, I mean, well, I mean, actually, I guess your book does this, but, <laughs> but is there an active effort to make that, um, information, 
available as a single modern body of information or is it sort of piecemeal among various practitioners? It's a really great question. I think by virtue of the fact that this is an art and not a science, it's always going to be subject to personal experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the, in the neo-pagan community at large, we have really good terminology to describe these things. We talk about things like unverified personal gnosis. It's that direct transmission that we get from our practice. Mm -hmm. um, we, we can't necessarily quantify it. Sometimes we get great things that we can like fact check, but mostly we don't. Um, so, you know, some of the really subjective things that come out of, we'll say, crystals overlapping with spirituality because it's not always healy feely sometimes it's you know more more magical more mystical far more esoteric um some of that we we can't always quantify um and there's certainly some large claims that are made that i think vary from individual to individual but you know what mm -hmm. I consider myself, like one of my great skill sets is that I'm a data collator. I'm, I do meta analysis. Mm -hmm. So for anything to appear in one of my books, it has to be extant across the literature. Um, the crystal basics and the mini version have the shortest bibliographies of any of my works because I, I wasn't there to footnote the entire history of every stone because I had limited space on the page. Sure. Um, but anything that was in there has to be something I've observed myself something that comes from my direct experience or something that we find really widespread among different strata of the community. So, I mean, we've got living, breathing practices that are, um, you know, rooted in much older things like um, Chinese medicine has a branch of stone medicine. Um, mm -hmm. And a colleague of mine, she, she is learned in a practice that's 88 generations strong and still wow. going and wow. adapting as they find new rocks. And then you find people like um, Michael Ginger, who is a German author. He passed away, I think in 2014, unfortunately, but he was a geologist first and foremost. And it was the trends he observed with people who liked rocks that led him to believe there was something more. He didn't go uh -huh. at it initially for, you know, the mystical side, but notice that hmm, certain personalities seem really strongly drawn to certain kinds of rocks, even mm. just as passive collectors. And then he started to look at other trends and not just with, you know, the big categories, but the, the minutia, if you will. And um, there are some really sensitive healers that, you know, in the absence of, you know, in the early days of the modern crystalline movement, in the absence of, um, any traditional knowledge just did the work with people and they essentially, you know, without calling it experiments and data collection, that's what they were doing. One of my mentors, um, Jane Andow, she counseled critically ill children and other folks, but she really had a soft spot in her heart for working with, um, kids in, in critical care. And, you know, in the early days, there wasn't a guidebook. So she just did hands-on experience with them and, you know, they, shared the results and she observed things in real time. So I think today what we see is the confluence mm. of many streams. It is the traditional, the personal and the practical all coming together. And I think so long as we bear in mind that a lot of this is subject to our personal experience, um, we can still find trends and, you know, all, all I'm really doing, I think the, the most, the, the, the most special part of my personal process when it comes to writing and researching is looking for those patterns to emerge by meta-analysis of all the data, whether that's my own, my friends and colleagues and students, or in the literature behind me, you know, the hundreds of books just on rocks that are behind me. I mean, right. I love this for so many reasons, but yeah. um, one thing that comes to mind, I mean, obviously there's just so much balance in what you're talking about and that is important. Um, but for instance, I know lately they are finding that there's a lot of um, 
basically people who are self-diagnosing as having ADHD, that is real. Like they can count on that. (laughs) They're realizing like, oh, this is a, this is a real thing. Like people know themselves well, and it doesn't need to be dismissed because a doctor hasn't, you know, uh, agreed with it or diagnosed it. Um, And so I just, it feels more holistic to have it be a combination of these things, not to dismiss the personal, Yes, um, especially when it's like coming from so many people. It's so interesting. And I also love that you said that certain people are drawn to certain rocks because we, Brett and I just discovered last night that we both love Malachite. Um, And can you talk, I am curious because Brett, Again, I'm talking for you again, but um, (laughs) that you've been talking about how you're really drawn to copper. Um, And I'm just curious what Nicholas thinks about that. So in my freshman year of college, that first semester that I worked at the museum, I found myself quite inadvertently drawn to copper minerals. I'd come across something I'd never heard of before, something I could barely pronounce like cyanotrichite. And, you know, I, I would, before, before spoiling the surprise, I'd sit, I'd meditate, you know, even if it was like two or three short minutes while the museum was empty and, you know, jot down my notes or try to remember them for later. And then I would go and look up all of its geology. And Mm. after about four or five solid weeks of everything that really made my heart sing, almost everything being a copper mineral, I was like, Mm. what is going on here? (laughs) So I, I love the geology of copper. I'm certainly no expert in this. I actually um, have some acquaintances who who just published a monograph on the geology of the Keweenaw Peninsula uh, in, in Michigan, and it's really unique copper deposits. So um, that's something I want to be better educated on, but um, we had a wonderful suite of copper minerals in in the Gillespie Museum. So um, I really kind of got to know them from firsthand experience, and you know, much later I would I would appreciate them from other levels. But um, copper is so cool. So it's one of the earliest ores that we've ever mined. It's relatively easy to extract. Malachite being one of the primary sources for it is particularly in the ancient world. And we're talking like we may have been extracting copper. There are some estimates that go as far back as like 9,000 years, the earliest smelting of copper, which was probably accidental from malachite. Wow. Um, chances are it wasn't. I, I'm sorry, you can extract copper from malachite? You can. It's not the purest, but it, but it can be done through smelting. Oh, wow. It, it, smelts at a low enough temperature that the ancient world, this was possible. Um, certainly copper oxides and things are more useful, but it can be done with malachite, uh, which I was also surprised to learn. I didn't think the carbonate had had enough to go around, but it, it does apparently. Um, but, you know, copper almost universally is related to themes centered around we'll say embodiment, like pleasure and beauty and overall health and well-being, different cultures kind of taking different aspects of that. There's a really strong link to the divine feminine as well. Mm. Some, some interpretations of the glyph for Venus, you know, the circle with the cross beneath it. Um, although some say it's it's a, a necklace with a pendant on it. Others say that it's her hand mirror, which would have been made out of burnished copper, of course, because that's what they had. Mm. Um, Venus Aphrodite was said to have emerged from the foam of the sea and set foot on the island of Cyprus, which was the most important source for native copper and its ores uh, in the sort of classical region, um, you know, in the Mediterranean Aegean area. Uh, and even the word copper is related to the old term for Cyprus or Kupros. 
Um, so we get that taking a circuitous route from Greek into Latin, eventually into German and then into English. So, um, but there's this fun tradition of connecting this planetary metal of Venus, which it is in the alchemical traditions to a lot of these other things. So um, this might be a little tangential, but the, the medieval and early modern uh, alchemists had a, a title for the metal copper and they referred to her as Maratrex Metallorum which is kind of a saucy title. It means the harlot of metals. Because <laughs> <laughs> chemically, copper is so adaptable. You can make sulfates and sulfides. You can alloy it with other things. You could make carbonates and oxides and silicates. And the list goes on and on and on. So um, she she refuses no lovers is the kind of pun in, implicit in there. But I think it also kind of reminds us about the... The nature of embodiment like it's about connection it is relational so here we mm -hmm. have this element this metal associated with the goddess of love with the planet that we say rules love and romance but you know let's let's divorce the 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 kind of uh, romantic overture from it and we see relation we see connection and mm -hmm. we also see that embodied in the chemistry the geology the petrology of copper ores so um yeah i I really dig copper ores. We could we could do two hours just. <laughs> we might have to have you back then. That's, that's really fascinating. Getting I, to know I, copper. Yeah. <laughs> that is really interesting too, because I really loved malachite when I was um, like 17, 18, when I was having a really, I was very disembodied. And um, I feel like, yeah, like I was drawn to it to come back into, and also relationally, I was having a hard time. But um, yeah, that's so interesting to see like what you're drawn to when and in different times of your life. Yeah. Um. So for our listeners who are new to crystals, I'm wondering if you could like, do you, I'm curious actually about your practice with them. You're like, do you have a daily practice or how do you approach them? Admittedly, these days, my, my life is a little less structured than it used to be. <laughs> Working from my home office has this own kind of alchemy to it. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I have certain things that I engage with frequently, even if it's not necessarily a regular daily ritual. Uh, when I get new stones, particularly ones that I intend to do deeper work with, I have little attunement exercises that involve often involve just like visually contemplating the stone mm. and, you know, kind of internalizing all of the sensory input I can get, how it looks, how it feels, maybe not so much how it tastes. Cause I, I generally discourage people from <laughs> picking rocks. Every geologist does it, but like that's, <laughs> that's like informed consent. They know what they're doing, it's calculated risk. I have taken that risk and been wrong before. Oh no. Uh, like, you know, just you. you what you happened? Oh, uh, thankfully nothing, oh, but um, you know, an example of, of why we shouldn't lick things. You can be reasonably <laughs> certain that a rough piece of of rock is halite or rock salt and it could end up being a strange borate mineral which tastes really bad and could mm. have traces of arsenic or other things oh, in there okay. so mm. use your other sensory input that you can um you know some long slender crystals have almost a ringing quality to them when you tap them um and and as you kind of get your conscious mind involved with all the 
the physical stuff that we can see and measure and quantify, it opens the back door for our subconscious mind to kind of enter into that space of communion as we mm. internalize the tangible. It makes space for the intangible to bloom within us. So I do a lot of things that that look like simple contemplations. They, they don't necessarily have to be a formal structured meditation every time, although I have those kinds of things too. Um, things that I do deeper ongoing work with, I, I do meditations where I will actually envision the stone getting larger than a building so I can oh. picture myself going inside and meeting oh. the consciousness inside or exploring oh, wow. the internal landscape. Um, that's a I, great suggestion. Yeah, it's I that's one of my favorite. Of ones. I do a lot of grid work. I I wear or carry a lot of rocks in my daily life, so it's it's the quiet setting of intentions, the quiet invitation to like participate with me. It's not so much saying this emerald has to do this thing, but like, hey, emerald, I'm working on this stuff. What do you think? You want to join me? Mm, I love. I that. love that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have. I love crystals um, mostly. I just like how they feel around me. I haven't had, well, my relationship with Chris, I've only really felt very strongly the energy coming back to me, like in a really big way with selenite and apophyllite and also some clear quartz, but it's always those. It's never like, um, like, so actually I did notice, um, I'm just sharing this for the listeners so that they have in case, you know, this is kind of how you can experiment with it. I remember one time I was on the phone with my dad, who I was having a lot of anxiety about, and I just happened to have this Labradorite and I just held it and I could feel all of my anxiety go into this stone. It was just like, Mm. it was so powerful. And I was so grateful to that stone. But do you recommend just going and feeling and experiencing stones as a means to know what to add to your collection or to bring into your life in a healing way? You know, direct perception, I think, supersedes all else. And, you know, I say that as someone who writes reference books. So, of course, I hope people will refer to the books, but let's let's be honest. I'm a human being and therefore I have a bias. I have several biases, many biases, and that's going to be implicit or explicit in my writing. And my personal relationship is going to color how I work with crystals. I do my best to take a step back and see if that fits into that kind of meta-analysis, that aggregation of data. Mm. Um, And if it doesn't, you know, sometimes you still got to list it as an outlier because damn it, it worked for me, right? Mm. Um, But, you know, everyone else's own direct perception is, is golden. That is magic. And, you know, the thing is, how we perceive things, how we experience things, there's not a single right way to do that, including not seemingly experiencing anything at all in a conscious way. Mm. So some people are sensitive to energies and they feel them or they see them or they hear the voice of the stone if they think more animistically or you know maybe it's just that kind of magnetic compulsion. You just, you can't put it down. And in other times, you just like it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it could be the color of emeralds, the clarity of quartz, the, you know, cubic structure of fluorite. You're allowed to just like something because you like it. Um, Sometimes that's our feedback system. Even if it's not, here's here's the thing. Since the dawn of time, we have collected rocks and minerals. Um, Fine minerals today are a booming industry. Um, The wealthy elite are investing in minerals the way they used to invest in art and other things Mm. uh, because the value Mm. keeps going up almost always. Mm. Uh, Again, 
finite reserves. And when you have provenance, when you know a single deposit and we know how rare that one deposit of this unusual thing was, um, it they don't become more plentiful unless we magically find more. And in some cases we often don't. So the fact that people buy things, own things, are attracted to things just because they're beautiful doesn't preclude the other stuff. And if that's if that's your way in, let's celebrate that. You don't have to have the bells and whistles and fireworks of the most amazing metaphysical woo-woo experience. Mm -hmm. I've had a bunch of those. These days, my work is so subtle. I think I think in part because I'm cynical and skeptical, but also in part because I've already seen it and done it all. I, I, I don't need that to be convinced that this works. Mm -hmm. so I have to make space, yeah. slow down and get get quiet to perceive things most of the time because there's a lot going on in life and that's not just for me that's the world so i think if we open the door for people to have those quiet experiences and celebrate even the subtlest ones then of course the people who have the big experiences we can celebrate those too well that's that reminds me how i often talk about energy healing is it's a different language actually you said something that I can never, I never say correctly, Brett, but something about like, it speaks to you like imagination. Do you remember? I can never remember what I said either, but basically <laughs> that, that what we dismiss as imagination is often, you know, information coming to us. Yeah. And that's how energy, it's a different language. I mean, especially in, you know, in an age of social media where we're getting like information so quickly and just media in general, it's like, we're used to having things happen fat, like receiving our communication in a very fast way. And also just speaking like humans, like hearing it in this specific and hearing language and then understanding it. And that's how I get information. And so I always say like with energy healing, it is that more it's learning a different language. It's learning and you have to trust as you're learning it. And it sounds like you're saying basically the same thing with crystals. And it's true with plants, too, and flowers, the way you listen to them. It's it does take a lot of trust, especially because our society is very against, you know, will negate that that is being crazy. And of course, woo stuff isn't real and all of that stuff. So you have to get over a few humps and it makes sense that beauty would be a way in for most people because that's acceptable in our world. We're allowed to think right. things are beautiful and appreciate them. Totally. And if they come in and do something great as a result of that, that's just, that's extra. What were you going to say? Well, I wanted to ask a question. So I, I'm curious if you have thoughts about how crystals are cut and or you know like removed from the earth uh and like if that has a positive or negative effect or you know different approaches have some of each i probably have more thoughts than we have time for. <laughs> i'm gonna do my best because brevity is the key to clear communication um the uh, the conversations that we are seeing market-wide about the topics of extraction and mining and the ethics of it are meaningful and important. But the truth is there's no satisfying answer that we can reduce to a soundbite that makes everybody feel good. Mm. Um, and, and oftentimes when we try, we end up making more people feel bad than good. And that's not my mission. Mm. Um, but there are a lot of moving pieces here that need to be considered. There's the environmental impact, which is not just did we have to tear down trees? Did we have to dig a hole? Did we displace uh, any part of an ecosystem, any organisms that might live there? It's also, you know, what is 
the result of having all our tailings, the, the waste product piled up somewhere. They were under the surface of the earth, but now they're exposed to the elements. Do any of those things react? What about the carbon footprint of transporting things? Rocks are heavy. There's a big carbon footprint to send a container load overseas to be cut and polished and then send it back overseas to be sold, um, which is how the industry yeah. works. Um, there are social and human ethical impacts. You know, the truth is that most people doing mining and extraction worldwide are not white. They are mostly indigenous people and people of color and their labor is not valued just mm -hmm. put as, as plainly as possible. They are not necessarily paid leaving wages, fair wages. They're not necessarily working in safe environments. So there's a lot to consider just from the ground up when we talk about the, the ethics of what happens when we remove something, because there's so many links in this chain. We have to consider the effects of the lapidary work of cutting and polishing gemstones or decorative stones. We have to consider, you know, what, what is the marketing impact? What, what are we doing to deceive people into parting with large sums of money for common things in some cases? Because that's a very real problem that, that is had on this market by rebranding ordinary rocks so they sound more mystical to convince mm -hmm. people that this is the rare thing they've always needed and it's really rare because someone owns a trademark and they're the only one who can use it so oh, wow. right um and then you know when we take a step back from all of that all of that is is worthy of contemplation but you know let's also look at an idea of the impact from that kind of planetary perspective. Let's imagine what's happening with the soul of the planet. Humans have been extracting rocks, minerals, and other similar geological resources for a very long time. Um, the, we, we will not run out of even some very precious things for a very, very long time. Um, not all resources, but a, a good number of them. And, you know, bearing that in mind, if we want to talk about the energetics of it and get kind of woo about that, I mean, I'm not the planet and I can't speak on behalf of her. I can't tell you what's happening in her soul or in her heart, except how it touches me in my own personal ways. But, you know, if, if we view it through that lens of electromagnetism and we think about the electromagnetic field that the earth produces, picking up a rock from one place and moving it to another, this is such an infinitely small contributor to that electromagnetic field that even the tonnage that we move each week, each month, um, isn't doing any significant reshaping of things, um, maybe cumulative over a long time, it definitely will. And, you know, I had a teacher who's background was science. That's one of the reasons that it touches me very informally. She was a lay person, but, but worked in the science field for a long time. Um, worked intimately with a, a physicist. So she would learn the physics she was typing up in his reports because she had to understand it to be able to communicate it to others. So, you know, in theory, if we're trying to use that electromagnetic metaphor, even if we can't prove it, um, the only way to, you know, remove this piece of fluorite from, from the magnetosphere of the earth is to make it part of the payload on a rocket and send it so far out that gravity doesn't influence it anymore. And, you know, we're not doing that with the rocks remining. Right. There's, right. They're still subject. They're still communicating. The cells of my body, some of which move quite freely throughout my body, uh, remain a part of the whole, even though they're in motion. So why should mm. the cells of Mother Earth be different? We do very real measurable harm 
to the environment, to human beings, to other things. Um, and I think that impacts the earth, but it's not necessarily because I picked up a rock from here and I put it down over there. Yeah. I really loved that answer. And it actually was not even the question that I meant to ask. <laughs> Um, I, but that was so much, that was even, uh, even more interesting that I, I, I was thinking of the, the lapidary work, the, like does taking it from the raw chunk and making it into a sphere or a worry stone or a, you know, crystal skull or whatever, does that change things? But yeah, I think you actually answered that question within that larger discussion. Uh, I, that was, that was great. Thank you. Well, I mean, I, I can give you a satisfying soundbite on that one. How's that? Yeah. The model I use for explaining where crystal energy comes from is owed to the ingredients it's made out of, the form those ingredients take. So it's crystal lattice and the geological processes that brought that together. So no amount of cutting, shaping, grubbing, uh, grinding the surface changes things on a molecular level. So um, mm. the fundamental energy is still there. We can change the way the energy is distributed. So it's kind of like, this is the same song that we, we listen to through two different sets of speakers. Um, it sounds very different when I play it on my phone versus when I'm in, you know, a room with surround sound, um, but it's sure. the same, same notes are being played. So I think when it comes to the, the external shape of a crystal, we can enhance its beauty. We can remove blemishes and imperfections and refine the quality of it in that way, but there's no fundamental change going on. Supposing all other things are equal because if I have a, you know, one carat flawless emerald, and a you know 100 carat opaque emerald sphere. It's not an apples to apples kind of comparison here because right. we didn't start with the same thing. So we can't just look at shape in a vacuum. Right. It's more nuanced than that. I hate that we have to end this at all, but I have one last question. What do you think about when a crystal breaks? Like I always feel really guilty when that happens. <laughs> and also I'm like, what should I do with it? I don't know. I still feel really guilty about one a piece of selenite that broke. And I this was a long time ago and I threw it away, which makes me really upset. I still <sighs> think about that. Well, just know that one way or another, it's working its way back to the earth. Um, okay. And don't our landfills need blessing too? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. That's a nice way yeah. to think of it. I, I worked metaphysical retail for a long time and, mm. you know, sometimes things just break and, you know, where possible, we'd give them out or share them or return them to the earth. But, you okay. know, sometimes it's just hazardous to leave sharp shards of something. So yeah. they have to go someplace. Okay. And anytime I'd have to put them in the waste bin, I would think about the fact that particularly with something that's inert and non-toxic, it's not going to do any harm wherever it's going. And in fact, maybe energetically, it's going to do something better. Maybe okay. I can, yeah. I can hope. Yeah. Uh, but you know, ultimately most of the time when crystals break, it's because of human error. Uh, I, I know a lot of people want to read a lot into, oh my gosh, my favorite yeah. amethyst broke. It's protecting me from something or it's doing, you know, this, or you know, there must've been a horrible energy there. And yeah. maybe, but probably not because <laughs> I will never get past the trauma of this wonderful and unusual calcite that I had that came off a shelf um, because the shelf wasn't screwed into the wall effectively. Cause that's not my skill set, And yeah. someone let me do that myself. <laughs> I'm the one who let me do that myself, it's my <laughs> by the way. Um, <laughs> Someone should really talk to that someone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to speak to their supervisor. Um, <laughs> and, you know, this, 
I still have some of the bigger fragments of it. I can't bear to actually work with them because like, I still feel this trauma of like 19 year old Nicholas oh. watching it shatter in oh. slow motion. I just couldn't get there fast enough. Oh. I heard the shelf begin to, oh, to slide. No. So, um, but, but the truth is that most of the rocks we work with are portions of larger masses. If That's you work true. with a tumbled stone, if you have a polished obelisk or point or tower, yeah. or beads, those were cut out of larger masses almost always. And and if not, it it's still if any lapidary work has been done, it's been it's been made more refined. Yeah. So there's no reason we can't work with the separate pieces. Supposing we're not going to uh, injure ourselves in the process. Like definitely if something is sharp, be careful. Yeah. But I, I think one of the big lessons that we can have is not assigning power beyond ourselves because it disempowers us. And I think yeah. spiritual practice ought to give us power, yeah. ought to help us claim what we've got and constantly trying to read meaning into events that I hate to say are meaningless, but are relatively low on the meaning spectrum at yeah. least. Um, does the opposite. And it's, you know, it's Thank the same you. for like all these other things. What does it mean when blank it means you knocked it off a shelf? What does it mean when blank it <laughs> right, right. means you put it through the washing machine? Like I can't tell you how many times I've done it. Yeah. Um, have some really weird things happened in my life with crystals, things mm -hmm. I can't explain. Yeah. Like an amethyst that I lost in the ocean uh, appeared on a bathroom counter three weeks later. Oh my God. Yeah. No explanation for that. I, I cannot reconcile it. I've, wow. I've tried to tell myself I left it in my pockets and took it out. But three weeks later, doesn't make sense to me. So <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's yeah. Nicholas, what a joy to have you here. Thank you so yeah. much for being here. Um, will you tell everybody your book comes out on March 7th, right? Yes. So that's a crystal basics pocket encyclopedia. It's a guide to 450 rocks, minerals, fossils, and gemstones and, and more. Um, and I hope everyone gets to enjoy it. Yes, I do too. And where else can people find you in the world? So if you look for the luminous pearl in most places, whether that's the luminous pearl.com or at the luminous pearl on social media, you'll find me there. I'm, I'm most active on Instagram um, but you know, I'll respond to messages in most places eventually. Um, if I don't just message me again. Are you also on TikTok? I am. Oh, I'll have to find you on there. That's I enjoy it over there now. Anyway, thank you again so much. Yeah. it as much as we did yeah it was, can i just say something real quick no that, that uh, okay anyway <laughs> uh the that interview really was so helpful to me like it really helped me to heal the uh either or black and white thinking that mm. my that the part of me that went from the church i grew up in to a very rigid science-based atheism helped me to heal a lot of that and to see that it does not have to be either or that yeah. like there is room for both. And yeah. uh, it was, it was really great. Well, it's interesting when you put it that way, because um, like the, our inner child parts and children in general think in black and white like that. Yeah. And so do narcissists and children are tiny narcissists. Yeah. <laughs> um, because they have to be self-centered, you know? Right. Right. And so it's easier 
for the, and also that's just brain development right like that's yes. how they look at yeah. things so it's actually a good helpful way to be like if you are feeling really black and white about yourself or somebody else or a situation it's good to examine like oh okay which inner child part is yep. talking right now yeah all righty well now it is time for the energy report <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was my favorite one yet. Um, okay. So essentially this is what I'm feeling into. Um we have a full moon Tuesday. Okay. And it's in Virgo. And this is regard regardless, Monday feels like a really good time to be journaling or feeling in like really kind of it feels a little cavey, cave like, I mean. Um like hunkered down, you mean? Yes, but only for the purpose of excavating something going on with you that you've mm. been feeling deeply. And mm. I kind of feel like it might have to do with a relationship, but that also could be... Sometimes I don't know if I'm tuning into my own energy <laughs> <laughs> or the whole. Um, sometimes it's super clear and sometimes I'm like, is this just me because my... Virgo is in my seventh house of relationships in on my chart mm. in my astrology, but it does feel like even if it isn't specifically about relationships, it could it's still about something within that really wants to be examined and excavated. It really that feels more Scorpio. It just feels like it's like in the shadows kind of mm. thing, and it's like it can come out. It wants to come out. And when, then, when you say relationships, do you mean romantic or no, just any any interpersonal? relationship yeah any interpersonal okay. um don't worry i won't be excavating <laughs> or may, I, I was asking for a friend it. i was asking oh, for a friend, oh okay, for okay. okay okay um so <laughs> moving that out and then it feels like the full moon really illuminates it in a nice way it mm. feels like it's like a almost like um I want to put this like a tender way, like a very gentle, nurturing illumination of it. And it feels nice. Like it feels, again, heart centered, almost there could be some blissful feelings, but it's sort of like it puts it in a kinder way, a gentler way. And this could be have something to like the container feels more um supportive and nurturing yeah. i guess for the feelings or whatever's coming up around it and also i do happen to know that saturn moved into pisces thank god for me that's a big step for them it's, it's a really big step um <laughs> so maybe that's what i'm feeling i don't mm. know um but it because saturn's about boundaries and pisces is very like no boundaries hmm. um and like oh nice like oh i love everyone everyone's good <laughs> and it kind of, i have that feeling around it so and i really feel that almost like through the week even like for the rest of the week it just it does feel like okay things might be coming up but there's a gentler container for it hmm. i love it does the the gentleness does it remind you of your the way you're like future self talks to you mm. at all? No. My future self, even though she's kind, she's kind of sassy. Yeah. I don't want to say future self. My other timeline self, who is also, who knows, maybe she's here right now. Um, why did you ask that? I don't know. It just, just occurred. It sounded, like it. it reminded me of some of the ways that you've described her I talking see. to you. This feels more like, um, 
empress energy from the tarot like mm. like nurturing like very like cancerian now i'm gonna just throw out all the <laughs> cancerian <signs>. leovian <laughs> sagittarian the one i'm feeling now feels more like a loving grandmother oh yeah okay like those kind of vibes yeah yeah, so I, I guess my only recommendation is I think journaling all week would be nice because it does feel like things are coming out to the surface that are ready to be held in a safe space. Yeah. So journaling, excavating, that feels nice if that feels good to you and just general kind of self-care, taking care of yourself, being good to yourself. You get oh, it. We get it. I'm getting also like, I don't know, when I'm talking about nurturing, for some reason I just pictured a garden like... Like how you would nurture a seed coming to life, yeah. you know, like yeah. getting the right soil. Care like for being, it yeah, and encourage exactly. it. Yeah. So that's it. I love that. Listen, everyone, we really love and appreciate you. Oh, yeah. if you would like to tell people about us, we would love to be heard about. <laughs> if you would like to leave us a review, yeah. we're like so grateful to all of you who have done that. We read them all. We appreciate them all. For sure. So much. Yep. Um, so yeah, tell a friend, share, write a review. We love it. Thank <laughs> you. See you next time. Bye.